0: I cannot wait to see you. Jean Guerrero knows that the truth isn't always neat and simple. Her quest to understand her own father led her to journalism and to her first book, Crux, a cross-border memoir. Then she turned her attention to the forces that paint our communities as criminal, as violent, with her second book, Hate Monger, Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, and the White Nationalist Agenda. Now Jean, as an opinion columnist for the Los Angeles Times, is sharing more of herself, her way of seeing the world and the truth, however complicated it may be. Hi, Jean. Hi, how are you? I am so excited to talk to you. And there's so many places we could start, but I actually think your most recent piece about your last name is a really good jumping off point for the conversation that I want to have. And I related so much to it. So Jean, how do you currently say your last name? Guerrero. <laughs> <laughs> there was a period of time though where that was not how you say it. Can I hear how you would say it? Guerrero. Tell me what happened in your life that that is how you began to pronounce, some might say mispronounce, your own last name.
1: I grew up on the border in San Diego, just a few minutes north of Tijuana, which is where my dad grew up. My dad's an immigrant from Mexico, and my mom is from Puerto Rico. And Spanish was my first language. Both of my parents spoke Spanish to me at home but this was during an era of intense anti-immigrant anti-mexican hysteria in California. California saw this wave of anti-immigrant policies that preceded what we saw during the Trump era nationally. So there was a lot of like anti-mexican sentiment in the school where I started to go. My my mom who is a doctor she put herself through medical school by joining the National Health Service Corps she she thought it was really important for me and my sister to go to private school and so she put us in this private Episcopalian school where it was against the rules to speak Spanish like most of the students were Mexican American and and children of immigrants and they wanted us to assimilate or, or you know learn English as quickly as possible and so they said like it's just against the rules and And it was to the point where if if we were caught speaking Spanish, we had to stay in detention and we had to write, I will not speak Spanish. I will not speak Spanish a hundred times. And I was like a a little like goody two shoes. So I was like, um, like I, I wanted to, I wanted to please my teachers. And also I just knew like how hard my mom was working to put me and my sister in that school. At that point, she was a single mom. My dad like had some depression issues, which... I wrote about in in my first book, but my mom was, you know, she was really struggling and I wanted to do well. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to internalize this idea that speaking Spanish is bad. And I just started to associate my first language with delinquency. And and I just became the name that my teachers gave me, which was Jean Guerrero. It's wild. It's
0: wild because you and I are the same age and you think of this, I think of this as a thing that happened back in the day, not in 90s California.
1: I didn't realize how much damage that it did to me, to my relationship with myself, with my family, until many, many years later. When you talk about that damage, I mean, a lot of it is just not
0: being able to communicate with people you love. And if you can't communicate with people you love, then there's an inevitable distance that grows up between you.
1: Exactly. Like when I became Jean Guerrero, like I I also just stopped speaking Spanish. My mom was speaking to me in Spanish and I would respond in English. And then over time, English became my dominant language, which meant that it created a real chasm between myself and members of my family who didn't speak any English. Like my abuelita, like my dad's mom, who stepped up and like filled the hole that my dad left in my life when he began to struggle with mental health issues. But she. She doesn't speak English. So as I internalized this like English language supremacy, it it created this distance between her and I Where like our conversations were strained. They were shallow, just limited my ability to communicate severely with people that I loved. As
0: your dad began to distance from the family, I, I mean, you were pretty young. How did you understand at the time what was happening?
1: At first, my dad was just, like I mentioned, depressed. So he was just sleeping all the time. And, and, and at first, I was like, my dad doesn't love us anymore. Like, he doesn't care about us. He was just profoundly depressed. And it's complicated. Like, this was during a period of intense anti-Mexican hysteria. And I know my dad has always struggled with his identity. So I don't know to what extent that contributed. Eventually, he disappeared. He was traveling around the world trying to escape what he said were CIA mind control experiments. He believed that he was being targeted by the CIA and, and that they were sending voices into his brain and electric shocks into his body. And And I, I, I didn't know where he was. And my mom would always say, like, your dad has schizophrenia, like he has paranoid schizophrenia. And it's because he was using drugs and it like messed up his mind. Because my dad was addicted to crack cocaine for many years. That's like a, a big part of why I became a journalist in Mexico. Like I, I, I was so curious, where is my dad? Who is my dad? I knew my dad was from Mexico, and like that we used to go to Mexico all the time when I was a kid with him. And that started to spark my curiosity about Mexico and like becoming a journalist in Mexico. And eventually he came back while I was in journalism school and started telling me his story of alleged CIA persecution. And it led me down this really dark path where I was exploring, like, was my dad persecuted? Like, I was just so enamored with him for, for, like, the fact that he was back in my life and he was trusting me with all of these stories. And, like, I spent many years in a very dark place and ultimately came to terms with the fact that, like, I would never be able to know my dad and that there's just, like, many different things that contribute to who he is that are just like so complicated from like the traumas and physical abuse that he endured as a child. And like, yeah, I I, I don't know. I've started to think about the whole experience like really differently lately because of like how prevalent conspiracy theories and like mental illness are now in our society. Like we have this like mental health crisis in America where people like don't have a grip on reality. And I've just sort of reexamining my whole experience with my dad through that lens, which has been interesting.
0: Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club.
1: Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you?
0: (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&Ms for all fun kind.
1: Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. You don't
0: just study your dad and as a passion project. You write a book called Crux, a cross-border memoir, which is incredibly well-regarded and received. and. I think a lot of our listeners have the experience of having a parent, often a father, who is absent or with whom they have a complicated relationship. And I think there is this fantasy that we will come to some point of understanding where all of a sudden everything will be clear. and Not only will we understand them and ourselves, we're going to heal generational trauma. And like it's not always that tidy.
1: That's so true, Alicia. Like I thought that my first book was was gonna be like, I don't I thought of it as like an exorcism. I was like, I'm getting rid of all of this pain and my attachment to my dad, and I'm gonna stop chasing him and I'm gonna stop all of the self-destructiveness where I've been sort of like mimicking his behavior in my life. And but honestly, like it was just the beginning. Like it was the beginning of my healing process. I thought it was gonna be the end, like I was that chapter, but like there's just trauma is something that you deal with over the course of your life. And grief is something that never goes away. And, you know, you just have to learn how to how to live with it. And my relationship with my dad, like, it's just been up and down, like writing the book definitely brought us closer together, because I learned so much about him. And I feel like the process of, of him telling me his stories was really therapeutic for him. But then the pandemic hit, and my dad just like plunged right back into like another, you know, this underworld where like, I can't reach him, like I can't I I just, I can't reach him. And I I just have to, like, accept that.
0: This entire time you're building your journalism career, you write not one but two books in the process. Your second book is really how you and I have come to know each other because you wrote this brilliantly well-researched book on Stephen Miller, who most of us know as the architect of so many of the Trump-era immigration policies. First, I want to know... What even brought you to Stephen Miller as a subject of interest?
1: Well, so I had been reporting on his immigration, like the impact of his immigration policies. From right.
0: you were one of the first people to report on family separation.
1: Yeah, I, I was reporting on family separations, and I was, I was just so frustrated because I just I kept seeing so many national news outlets just reporting what the Trump administration was saying. Like, oh, we are just separating people who are breaking the law. Like, that gets really complicated because, like, even people who are crossing, like, quote unquote, illegally, like, have the right under U.S. federal law to request asylum from Border Patrol officers. But I was fine, like, I had so many cases of, of parents who were presenting at ports of entry that had done literally everything, like, the way that you're supposed to, had come presented with papers, like, at the port of entry, requested asylum, And then those people were being like tortured through family separations also. So I was like, this is clearly not about national security. Like this has nothing to do with enforcing the law. Like this is about something more sinister. That was a hypothesis. And like ultimately, like I wanted to explore like who is the person who's designing these policies and what is motivating him. And that's how I came to this book about Stephen Miller, which is so strange and like in a a way, because, like, he's almost, like, the opposite of my dad. (laughs) Like, my dad was always crossing borders. He was always, like, literal and metaphysical, like, between, like, realities and, like, countries and substance abuse and sobriety and, like, mental illness and sanity. And, And then there's, like, Stephen Miller, who's, like, very rigid and, like, creating borders. But at the same time, like, I don't know, there were interesting similarities for me, like when I was learning about Stephen Miller's childhood and like how there were some difficulties there. For me, it was like a very careful line between like painting like an accurate portrait of a human being who's doing a lot of damage and... Romanticizing or glorifying him, I, I I don't know. We have this like anti-hero fetish in our culture, where like even if somebody's doing bad things, we still relish it in a way. And I really wanted to be careful not to feed into that like really toxic mentality. I wanted to, to paint a picture of who he was. Like he's somebody who like as a child w- was preyed upon by these older figures who saw a kid who was vulnerable and upset because of what had happened to his family, like, they'd lost a lot of money, and he just felt like an outcast, and they gave him a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning through, like, these attacks on multiculturalism and, like, all, all of the things that, like, make this country so, so amazing, and, like, it led to a man hell-bent on enforcing white nationalist policies that systematically targeted brown and black people coming into this country and living in this country.
0: Gene, how do you think about your career as a journalist? Because it is, do you agree it's a a pretty unique path that you've taken?
1: Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. Because I've just, I started out, I graduated from college and the first job that I took was as a foreign correspondent in Mexico City reporting for the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones Newswires. And then like after that, I took that like big leap where I was like, I'm going to, quit my job. And I'm going to write this book about my dad that I've been thinking about for many, many years. I knew that was like a really big risk to take, but I felt like if I was ever going to do it, it was going to be early on in my career. And so, so I did that. And then I like got into public radio, which was like a different medium, but that was amazing because it taught me how to write for broadcast, which teaches you to write concisely and like to the point. So it really transformed my like long form writing as well. And my ability to edit my own work and also to write with a voice, like my own voice. Now I'm an opinion columnist at the Los Angeles Times. And for many years, like for most of my career, I, I always thought of myself as like a very objective, like I'm a news reporter. I'm not giving my opinion. I'm separating out my feelings and my emotions from my reporting. But that that really changed during the Trump era, where, where I realized that that kind of objectivity is actually like very destructive and reinforcing of, of institutional racism in our society. And the Stephen Miller book was pure reporting. Like it was like, there's not like a single opinion in that book, but the title is like a very bold title. My editor was like, you know, I want you to find a word that describes Stephen Miller, like just one word. And at first I was like very hesitant about that because like, you know, when I was writing my first book, I was like, I don't believe in labels like my mom gave my dad a label like he's schizophrenic or, you know, and for me, I felt like that was very limiting in my understanding of my dad. But at the same time, I was like, this is a public figure who is using labels and using like reductiveness and and demonization to hurt a lot of people. And like, I feel like I have a responsibility as a journalist to call this what it is because he is a person in a position of power. And so I just thought and thought. And like after a while, like the title hate monger came to me, I I realized that this is something that very concisely captures the behavior that Stephen Miller like has embodied over the course of his career. And like what he's really after is like stoking hatred towards immigrants, towards Muslims, towards anyone who would stand in the way of this white nationalist agenda. So I want to
0: loop back to where we started, which is this question of your name. So you spend all these years being Guerrero or Guerrero. (laughs) Yeah. It's actually, as I understand it, the blowback or the fallout from having written hate monger and having white nationalists come after you that like reignites this desire to properly say and assert your last
1: name. Exactly. And like it happened slowly because there were like all these seeds that were planted in me over the years, seeing other Latinas doing this. Julisa Natalie Arce Raya, who you had on your show, like you sound like a white girl. She she writes about reclaiming her indigenous middle name. Like Brisca Mujica Rodriguez, like in For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts, like writes about reclaiming her name. And all of these beautiful pieces of art that I was reading of people doing this, not just in the Latino community, but lately also like with all the, with the rise in anti-Asian crimes, Chinese American writer, Marianne Leo in the at the Washington Post, like she writes about reclaiming her name. And so I was finding inspiration in all of these other people. And that's what motivated me to, to write the column. But then like when I started getting attacks that were personal, like about my family, just like a flood of racism in my inbox because of coverage on white nationalism like people telling me like over and over again like you you should go back to Mexico calling me slurs about about being Mexican it just like caused this like swelling in me of pride that like I'd had before but it wasn't like I don't know it just wasn't so like big and like overt and I was like you know what like I'm I'm done like I'm done saying my name in a way that makes people feel comfortable, like these white people feel comfortable. I'm going to like fully embrace Jean Guerrero. Like I want to cause these people snarling at me to like shrivel at the sound Guerrero. Like my name is Jean Guerrero. <laughs> like I was like, I'm not going to try to make you feel comfortable anymore.
0: The final code switch or duality of Gingerero that I want to get to is this idea that you as an investigative journalist go into the darkest crevices of our culture. How do you pull yourself out and maintain the lightness that I experience when I am in your presence?
1: <laughs> That's really, really sweet of you to say. Like I, Because it could be dark. It is like,
0: it is some dark stuff that you were grappling yeah. with.
1: Yeah. Um, on- like, I see
0: you on your longboard <laughs> on the boardwalk and I'm just like,
1: what? <laughs> That's what's kind of saved me like over the past few years. Because I've always been like a very intense person where I've gotten consumed by work and the mission of of, of journalism and investigative journalism. and And I've realized very recently like the process of there's been so many like processes of healing that have opened up doors for other processes of healing and like learning to fully embody my my own history and my family's history has opened the doorway for me to like be healthier towards my own physicality I'm just lately like realizing the importance of of everything outside of work spending time outside and like you know, longboarding is something that I took up recently and, like, surfing. And and I, I like, recently cl- moved close to the beach so that I can just be outside. Like, if I could go back and, like, t- talk to, like, younger Jean, who's, like, starting out in journalism, I would be, like, dude, like, go party. Like, go. Chill out, Jean. <laughs> <Yeah>. Chill. <laughs> exactly. Like, I would just be, like, go on that vacation. Like, go hang out with your friends. It'd be crystal clear, though, young Jean would not have listened to you. Young
0: Jean would have been, like, <laughs> thanks old lady like thanks for the advice but I'm gonna go back to studying Stephen Miller
1: (laughs) that's so true Jean thank you so much for doing this thank you so much for having me it's been great
0: thank you as always for listening Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me Alicia Menendez Alina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community.